we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. And happy Friday. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the August 12th edition of the sunny side of sports. The opening match and ceremony of this year's World Cup football tournament has been moved up one day to Sunday, November 20th. That's when host country Qatar will play Ecuador at 7 p.m. local time after an opening ceremony at the 60,000-seat Al-Bayit Stadium in Doha. The change was approved Thursday by a committee including FIFA President Gianni Infantino and the heads of FIFA's six regional confederations. Now, African champion Senegal was originally scheduled to play the Netherlands in the World Cup's opening match on November 21st. That match stays on the same date, but Qatar, which is making its World Cup debut, now gets an exclusive standalone event that promises to attract a huge global audience on November 20th. Football fans in Doha are happy with the scheduling change. So Qatar moving the kickoff of the World Cup from the 21st of November to the 20th. Uh, my opinion about that is uh, it's actually great because uh, they're that excited. Everybody in the country is that excited. We're all very excited to see what's, what's going to happen. But on top of that, who better to kick off the World Cup than Qatar? Uh, the hosting country. Actually, they should have thought about this before, but then, it's, uh, nevertheless, I think it's still fine. It's fine. You've been listening to some World Cup football fans in Qatar, the host country. As a result of the World Cup scheduling change, the 2022 tournament will be 29 days in length with the opening match on November 20th and the final on December 18th. In more World Cup news, Morocco has fired its Bosnian head coach, Vahid Halihadzic. The 69-year-old Halihadzic got the boot after a highly publicized dispute with star midfielder Hakim Zayic of Chelsea. The Moroccan Football Federation says the decision was made because of disagreements on how to prepare the Atlas Lions of Morocco for the World Cup. This marks the third time Holly Hadzic has been fired by a country he helped qualify for the World Cup. He was dismissed by Ivory Coast about six months before the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And he was fired by Japan about two months before the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Walid Regragi looks like the frontrunner to be named the new Moroccan coach. He led the Moroccan club Widad Casablanca to the African Champions League title in May. Morocco will be in Group F at the World Cup, along with Belgium, Croatia, and Canada. Morocco will play Croatia in its first World Cup match on November 23rd. Sporty greetings. This is Sunday Olise, former captain and coach of the Super Eagles of Nigeria. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. 
Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Fallout from U.S. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's controversial visit to Taiwan and Russia's ongoing attacks on Ukraine. I speak with an East Asia expert about China's military and economic retaliation against Taiwan and with a Russia expert who will update us on Moscow's dangerous alleged missile attacks on Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. The National Basketball Association says it will permanently retire Bill Russell's number six across the league in recognition of his Hall of Fame career and pioneering social justice activism. The Boston Celtics legend died July 31st at the age of 88. Bill Russell won a record 11 NBA titles during his 13-year playing career, and he becomes the first NBA player to receive this honor of having his number permanently retired. In a statement, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said, and I quote, Bill Russell's unparalleled success on the court and pioneering civil rights activism deserve to be honored in a unique and historic way. Permanently retiring his number six across every NBA team ensures that Bill's transcendent career will always be recognized. Now, current NBA players who wear number six, including Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James, will be allowed to continue, but teams cannot issue the number to new players. Bill Russell became the NBA's first black head coach in 1966 when he was still playing for the Celtics. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, let's listen in now to this report from the AP's Mike Gracia following Russell's death. Bill Russell, the greatest winner in NBA history who anchored the Boston Celtics dynasty to 11 championships in 13 years, died Sunday. He was 88. Russell's family posted the news on social media without disclosing the cause of death. After leading the University of San Francisco to NCAA championships in 1955 and 1956 and the U.S. to the Olympic gold medal at the 1956 Melbourne Olympics, Russell joined the Celtics. I had never seen the Celtics play when I got here. And uh, I played against Heinsohn in college. But I'd I'd met Red on a couple of occasions. And... uh, we had an, an immediate affinity. The Celtics were guided by coach and general manager Red Arbach. Russell would win. He would make the great play. He didn't care whether he led the league in scoring or rebounding or this or that. All he wanted to do was be instrumental in winning. Russell was a five-time most valuable player and a 12-time All-Star. Russell was also a leading voice for civil rights. He was at the March on Washington in 1963 and at the 50th commemoration of the march. We can never accept the status quo until the word progress is taken out of our vocabulary. In 2011, President Barack Obama awarded Russell the Medal of Freedom. I'm Mike Gracia. Thanks, Mike. Bill Russell also coached in the NBA. In fact, the last two of his record 11 NBA championships with the Celtics came as player coach of the team. 
Bill Russell also coached the Seattle Supersonics and the Sacramento Kings. In 1999, he said great players can make good coaches in the NBA. I guess, you know, you really have to concentrate on, 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 on the team pitching, not just what you're doing. And see, the way Larry played, for example, on any given uh, offensive set, he'd be where the point guard is or where the shooting guard is or where the small boy or the big artist. So he knows the problems with all those positions. And you can't help unless you know what the problems are. Bill Russell also had a memorable rivalry with another Hall of Fame player, the late, great Wilt Chamberlain. At a memorial service for Chamberlain in 1999, Russell said he and Chamberlain had a special bond. As we got older, the more we liked each other because we knew, basically, we were joined at the hips. We were both important to each other because we both knew what we were doing. And we think that the only person that understood what we were doing was the other guy. And I knew how good he was, and he knew that I knew how good he was. <laughs> Tributes poured in for Bill Russell after his death. NBA great Michael Jordan said in a statement, Bill Russell was a pioneer as a player, as a champion, as the NBA's first black head coach, and as an activist. He paved the way and set an example for every black player who came into the league after him, including me. Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. Thanks, Larry. That's Larry London, a man who's always ready to cross musical borders. Let's give a sunny side of sports birthday salute to heavyweight boxing's Gypsy King, Tyson Fury. Fury is celebrating his 34th birthday on this Friday, and the Gypsy King is reaffirming his decision to stay out of the ring. Gypsy King, out of the ring. Gypsy King, out of the ring. Writing on his social media accounts, Fury said, Massive thanks to everyone who had an input in my career over the years. After long, hard conversations, I finally decided to walk away on my 34th birthday. I I say bon voyage. Tyson Fury last fought April 23rd when he stopped Dillian White in six rounds in London to retain his WBC title. After that victory, Fury announced his retirement and said he had discussed it with his wife, Paris. Before I fought Deontay Wilder 3, I was in my house in Vegas and I said to Paris, I said, this is going to be the last fight, baby. I, I just don't want to do it anymore. And she said, yes, I'm happy. Let it be the last fight. And then after the fight, I said to her in the shower, I said, it's definitely the last fight. There's no more of this. And then I was happy with that decision. And I get a call from Frank saying, you know, we can do a homecoming fight at Wembley. And I was like, you know, I said to Paris, I said, I've got to go one more time. I've got to get the old boots out again. And, and you know, it was a tough decision because... I was happy being in Morecambe retired. I used to go to the gym to watch Joe Parker train and the boys, Tommy. And I used to say to Andy, I'm happy I'm retired. 
<laughs> Do you remember Andy? Um, and then I come back for a big, big fight at home, and it's been amazing. I couldn't have topped it off. It's been a fairy tale few years. It's been absolutely um, more than I ever dreamed of uh, as a kid and as an adult. So big thank you to everybody who's helped me in my career. That's the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury, the World Boxing Council's heavyweight champion who reaffirmed his retirement on this Friday, celebrating his 34th birthday. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Prince Nesta has been talking recently with Rotem Genesar, the athlete refugee team manager at the recent World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. Prince asked Rotem, if I'm a refugee athlete listening right now to the sunny side of sports, how do I go about applying for the team? and possibly trying out for the team. They can try to contact World Athletics or uh, Olympic Solidarity, or they can try, uh, some of them are contacting me through Facebook. Okay, Rotem Genosa is my name. You can search and you contact me, and after they need to have a process with UN and the World Athletics, but uh, yes, we're, we're welcome. Uh, usually until now it is... Like accidentally, it's not uh, someone, for example, Dorian is in big club in Lisbon, so uh, they contact uh, World Athletics, they have connections. Uh, Otman from Sweden did everything by himself, like uh, to, to go everywhere and to try everything. Uh, so it's really different from, from one and another. Right now you're the team manager of the World Refugee Athletics team. What does it mean to you personally, making such a huge difference in the lives of these athletes? Uh, for me it is, uh, it is very important because uh, refugees, they need, as I said, uh, very limited opportunities for everyone, okay? Except if you are very rich or your father is very rich. Uh, for refugees, it is a lot. It's limits, and uh, they don't have uh, a lot. And uh, I mean, what we are bringing that we're bringing kind of a hope that uh, uh, you can do it. Of course, not everybody, and we're not. Uh, my thought personally, it's not capitalistic thought that everybody can do it. Not, not, not everybody can do it. Very few in this system can do it. But uh, these few, we want to give them the opportunity because if I will take Jamal. Jamal should be in Israeli national team. If the politics uh, in Israel was like this regarding refugees, and if he's not in the national team, he's nobody. He can't participate at international level. So we give this opportunity to try to participate in international level. And I hope, I hope Jamal, that the best it will be naturalized as Israeli. Mm. Uh, still, they are not doing it. Uh, but this is the best. And uh, for Dorian to be in uh, next, uh, next World Athletics uh, Championship, maybe in Portuguese team, it will be the best. Mm. Uh, and in, can, I understand, as I understand as educator and one that uh, uh, profession in sports, that in sports it's easier. It's easier to, to remove the, the blockades it's easier for people to to understand it and to support it. It's like, it's not politics. It is politics. Everything is politics. But mm -hmm. no, no, people think it's sports. So we promote these issues through sports and it's much easier to, to promote and much easier to go forward. And uh, this is why uh, I'm so happy that I have this opportunity. 
as I told at the beginning, I work in, in public school in Tel Aviv. Uh, this is my main job, main job and main income yeah, still. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's very important for mm. me what I'm doing in other stuff because it's ideologically it's very important. You're saying some of your athletes are actually not naturalized citizens in the country they live in and so they have to compete as refugees in the world refugee team. That can be a challenge but what are some of the challenges that you face you know working with refugees? It's very challenging now uh, more than 10 years I work with refugees and uh, I'm of course I'm trying to be honest with you it's it's very hard because for example my uh, first team that uh, was basketball and uh, transformed to track and field. Uh, I had a great team. Most of them were South Sudanese. And Israel, back in 2012, deported all the community. When South Sudan gained the independence, Israel said, okay, you have a country, go. One of the, uh, not a lot of countries did like this. So all my students that I know, the family, I know them so well, they were deported. So this is from one hand. It was so ashamed and no one stayed in South Sudan, all of them in uh, Kampala, uh, trying to do the best. And uh, from the other hand, different communities. I know the reasons, but it's really hard sometimes to work with these communities because they are survivors. They need to survive. They learn in their home country like Eritrea. The government is looking for you. You have to, to lie all the time because the government is looking for you. This is how you grow up. And sometimes some of them... They, this, this is how they know to survive. So also they lie to me and they manipulate me. And it's very tough for me because I want to trust them. And sometimes I, I can't trust them. I can understand why, but I can't accept it because I give you my heart and everything I can for you. I want us to be partners, okay? Like I think I, with Jamal, we like partners and we trust each other. But I can understand where it comes from. And uh, that is, it's a big problem, but it's really tough to work like this. When or my best athlete, uh, girl athlete, uh, went to, we invest a lot in her, and her family got a permission to relocate to Canada. So five years we, as a club, we invest in her, but she relocated in Canada, and she will get a, citizen, a citizenship in Canada, so I'm happy. So we, we fix a, a club there and a coach. Mm. So this is another kind of, and the coach, she's refugee, new refugee in Canada, a girl, mm. 15 years old, and the coach was there in the airport. So this was the best integration for her. Like one minute after she came, instead of two, two, two years, don't know where you are, she was entering a club in Canada and she studied integration. So I really believe in it and it's fantastic and uh, mm. we're doing the best. Beautiful. You know, that's one of the successes that you've had. But, you know, in terms of successes, you know, working with athletes and working even with basketball, what are some of the successes that you think uh, possibly you've achieved so far? First, it's uh, educationally. All in my club, all my athletes have to, to go to school. Uh, to finish, to graduate high school and, uh, and to do everything they can. For example, if you can go to be, to be PE teacher, so this will be your route. If uh, you can go to, to learn social science or computer science, this is what you will do. And for example, again, with Jamal, Jamal don't have formal education at all, zero. So we can't enter no university, no college. But he didn't know Hebrew, English, nothing. And now he's fluent. He learned a lot, private lessons, a lot uh, in languages and is our masu 
he's doing massage. He learned a course, and uh, we took him and we pay for for his uh, services. Uh, and he did uh, coaching. So in, they must think about uh, the future, and they must be educated as as they can, as the 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 talent uh, they have. Yeah. So uh, so this this really important uh, for me. How have your athletes so far competed in the World Athletics Championships? So if I may, I will start uh, to say about World Athletics. World Athletics, uh, it's uh, the only organization that we have an all-year-round team. And uh, they asked me for to do this job. Uh, and there is no other, not in judo, no, from, before Olympics, they pick up from whatever. But only in world athletics, only in athletics, we do it systematically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very proud to be part of it. Uh, and we and they sponsor participation in World Athletics event. Every World Athletics event, they want a refugee team. And another thing they did, they uh, now also they, the athletes can participate in African Championships and in European Championships. That before only in World Championships. So and it's so important for the athletes because world class level, it's too much. You need the continental first. It is high level, enough, and then to go up. And before. Going straight to Olympics, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, uh, sports-wise, it's not smart. So this is how we develop. In this team, if I compare to another teams that just the refugees came and they weren't prepared, we decided in World Athletics that we will uh, select according to performance. They need to perform. We had a list of 15 athletes in the long list, and we followed them according to performance. We had uh, six in our final list that we selected. Uh, only three came here. One was sick, and uh, and another two didn't receive the visa to enter the U.S. So we have here in uh, Eugene uh, three athletes, but I'm very proud the best three, and they are like real athletes. They are not in the best world class level yet, but they are real competitive athletes that have uh, desire to to be a lot better, and. Uh, Yesterday, the first day of the championships here in Eugene, uh, two athletes competed already. Dorian was uh, passing the pre-round of uh, 100 meter. He did very good. Then in the heats, he, he was last in his heat. Not so good, not a PB, but he's a real athlete that's competing. Uh, Angelina, that uh, she's the queen of this team, uh, she's, she's in this team from Tegla's group from uh, Rio Olympics. But after, after eight years, she did fantastic PB year uh, yesterday. And after eight years that you're competing to do a PB, such impressive PB, we're very happy. She was, of course, she was last. But not after, no one did a lap on her face. Yeah, yeah, okay? That's right, yeah. She was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very proud. She gave me her best. And uh, Jamal, I hope, Jamal was very, very good in uh, Tokyo. He was uh, ranking, I think, 24th in, in the 5,000 meters with great PB. And uh, I hope he can do the same. I, yeah. I don't think he, uh, he will uh, go to the finals. Maybe it will be, he likes hot, so maybe it will be too hot. So uh, yeah. Yeah. it will be good for him, but... Uh, he will perform, I hope. He will compete like everybody. He won't be the last. Uh, I hope so. And uh, he continues his uh, progress. 
uh, incredible. There's an athlete listening to you right now, and they're looking at how you're managing to, you know, model uh, some of these refugees that you're working with and stuff. What would you like to tell that, you know, refugee uh, seated somewhere in a camp all over the world, and they're listening to you right now? So easily I can say no problems, there is hope, but for most of them there is no hope and uh, and maybe it will be worse uh, in upcoming years, all the situation for everyone, so refugee will suffer first. Uh, but what I can say, even not sports, education, and be consistent, and be tough. You have to be tough. Sometimes I'm even too tough with my athletes. And they say, are oh, you crazy? No, I say, you don't have the privilege. You don't reach boy from a rich neighborhood yeah. and you don't have this privilege. So a lot of organization with refugees, they like too nice and uh, almost, I will say, petting them. Sorry. Okay. And this is not the solution that the, this, this cause the, the, uh, the effect will be the opposite as I see it. So they need to understand, they need to be tough, they need to understand that they, they should fight for any opportunity and maybe it won't, won't come. But to be very consistent and to be very tough and to, to, to fight for your life everywhere, in education, in sports, and uh, this way maybe you will uh, find, find your way, but again, can't promise. That's Rotem Genesar, the athlete refugee team manager at the recent World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. And he spoke with Prince Nesta in Eugene. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. sunny side of sports on facebook and twitter my facebook address is facebook.com forward slash voa sunny once again that address facebook.com forward slash voa sunny and my twitter handle is at voa sunny sports once again my twitter handle at voa sunny sports if you go to my facebook page you'll see a photo of rotem genesar the athlete refugee team manager and rotem is shown at the track in eugene oregon where the recent world athletics championships were held and we give rotem genesar an official sunny side of sports salute for his work with refugees. A noble effort indeed. Here's a salute coming your way, Rotem.
Hello. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. And that wraps up the August 12th edition of the show. I get it. Thank you for tuning in and have a nice weekend. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.